excited. I, uh, I'm excited that we get to do this. You know, many of you are teachers, or have been teachers, and uh, you know that all of us students, we learn differently, um, and some of us need hands-on things, and I'm one of those. You know, when we come and worship God, we, I, I know that some of us worship God just like what we just did in, in that internal, emotional place when we sing songs, um, and that is just where we connect. Some of us, you know, worship cognitively, and we look forward to the sermon, because now the good stuff comes, right? I mean, that's why some of us are. And some of us are just like hands-on, like, I want, you know, to be able to express it in that way. And so, you know, today we get to all of them, right? Um, And so, uh, hopefully, uh, you will stay around after church and help us pack some of these shoe boxes. Um, and uh, we will have a lot of fun together. So a mother was busy uh, cooking supper in the kitchen, and, and she was kneading some tomato soup, and so it was in the pantry. She had a little five-year-old helper, right? And she sent him after the tomato soup. And uh, she, he gets to the pantry door, opens the door, and just, you know, it's dark. And he's just like... I don't want to go in there, you know, and he was wanting to, but he just couldn't come up to it, so he hollers at his mom, he says, mom, it's dark, and I'm scared, and you know how mothers are, they, they know how to be like the best teachers, and uh, they, she used it as an opportunity, she just says, "Hun, you know, Jesus will be with you, and she just wanted him to be able to, you know, trust Jesus through this, and so he's standing at the door looking in, he starts to step in, but he just didn't think he could do it. But then he has an idea, and he, sends, he says out into that darkness, he says, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me the tomato soup? <laughs> a five-year-old perspective, for sure. Anyone here afraid of the dark? Am I the only one? I mean, really, seriously, anybody afraid of the dark? Given the right situation, of course, I mean, not all darkness seems to be terrifying, but... There, there are some. I, I still have a little bit of anxiety when I go to the tree stand an hour before daylight, because that's usually when I like to go in. And just not sure what the noises are that are in the woods, you know. Um, I remember, like, just talking, thinking about this, because Mike and I are fixing to go on a little uh, four or five day uh, hunt uh, that we did last year. We're getting to do it again this year out in western Kansas. And so as we were talking about that this week, I was just reminded of a, a situation, and I've told you guys this before, but my uncle took me on a, a turkey hunt. I was so excited. I was like a freshman in high school, and hunting with my uncle, because he is just like the guru of hunting in our family, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to go. I was super excited. I bought my tur- first mouth turkey call, and I was practicing that week, and he picks me up, I mean, like at three in the morning, because we're going to Missouri to get these turkeys. And, and uh, anyway, he arranges it all, and so we're on our way. Actually, it wasn't Missouri. I think it was Fall River. Yeah, that's where it was. Um, but anyhow, we were, we were on our way, and in the truck, he's, he's, he's giving me instructions on, the, he said, let me hear your turkey call, and he's giving me instructions and everything. And I just can't tell you how excited I was about this turkey hunt. And we're driving over there in the dark, and we're driving, it seemed like forever, through this, just a path in the woods, you know, just meandering through. 
And about that time, he stops and he says, I think this will be a good spot. And so we're getting out. I'm getting my gun out and getting ready. And about the time I get my stuff ready, he says, so I'll pick you up about one or two. I'm terrified now. He's about to leave me in the woods in the dark, you know, and I know the daylight's not coming for another hour, two hours away because he's going to go get himself set up, right? And I'm just like, I've never turkey hunted, not by myself. And I've rarely spent very much time in the dark in the woods by myself at that point. And I'm just like, I can't believe this, you know. I was so terrified. Anyway, I sat there with the gun, and I'm sure that if anything moved, I would have shot it no matter what it was. Um, and just sat there by that tree until daylight came. When daylight came, I had no idea where I was. I started walking for a little while, and then I realized I was lost. I couldn't even get back to the, to the real path. And eventually I found a farmer that was working on a tractor and told him my dilemma, trying not to cry as a, you know, a grown man, I thought, as a freshman, right? Uh, and he finally got my way back. But uh, fortunately, I don't get near that scared when I'm in the dark, uh, in the woods. But have you ever been afraid of the dark? You know, people generally don't like darkness. Darkness too often is a time when life becomes uncertain it just, you know, it's scary times. And, and it can be like literal darkness, but it can also be a figurative darkness, right? Uh, a spiritual darkness that we find ourselves in. And knowing that darkness has that kind of effect on people, God, he gives us a promise all the way back in the Old Testament, and then he carries it through in the New Testament. But Isaiah 42, 7, this is what God says to us. To open the eyes of that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons, those who sat in darkness. And God had this, like, he knew, he knew us from the moment he made us, and he knew that darkness wasn't going to be our friend. It was going to be one of those things that just brought a a heaviness and a, a fear upon us. And he also knew it wasn't good, you know, and so he already had set in motion that he was going to make a plan to get us out of that darkness. And it tells us in Matthew chapter 4, 16, uh, talking about that prophecy there in Isaiah, it says here in 16, it says, the people dwell in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. I wonder if uh, they even, you know, realized that they were a region uh, that's living in a shadow of death. You know, like, I wonder, does everybody that lives in darkness know that they are in darkness, that they should be, like, terrified of darkness? And I'm reminded of this verse in uh, John 3, 19 this morning. Uh, when I was just kind of walking through my sermon today. And this is what it, it says there in John 3, 19. Uh, and this is a judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's just kind of a strange thing, that there are people out there that love darkness, you know. Maybe some of you do. I asked you if you... If you're afraid of darkness, and not all of you are afraid of it, evidently. But uh, for me, I am. But of course, he's talking about not physical darkness, as he's talking about a spiritual darkness. But there are people in the world that like the spiritual darkness, it seems. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their works be exposed. Now, I do get that it would be terrifying if you were living in darkness to be exposed by the light. I think that's one of the things that keeps us away from church at times, right? It keeps us from, you know, reaching out to God when we really want to reach out. Is this because of the fear of being exposed? Um, But it goes on, it says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. But the reality is, as we know, that God came as a light to expose the darkness, but that ends up becoming the best thing that could ever happen to us, right? Is to live in the light and to find the light. It's so much better in the light than it is in the darkness. In John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, And and Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Sometimes the darkness doesn't scare us, but it, it, it should scare us. You know, I, I, I remember one time, Lori and I were just fairly newly married. We were living in Rolla for the first year. Well, not the, right at the very beginning, but for the most part, the first year of our marriage. And we would come home and spend as much time with, you know, her family as we could. And then we would head back, you know, it's like a five-hour trek back to Rolla. And we wouldn't leave sometimes until dark, you know. And then we get in the wee hours in the morning, but we were young. We could handle that. But I remember one time when we got on the highway, and we were in this little hatchback Dodge Omni, right? And I was hitting the trail pretty hard, driving down the highway. And instantly, I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention or if I even could have seen it if I was paying attention, but instantly... I mean, I just almost just sideswiped a black cow. I don't know if it was a bull or a, just a big old black cow right in the middle of the road. I mean, he, she was standing right on the center line in that little car. What would have happened if I would have, in that little Dodge Omni, hit that thing going as fast as I was going? And it was almost like I broke out in sweat. I mean, instantly that happened, right? Moments before, I wasn't afraid of that darkness out there, but instantly I was reminded that there are some things that can be pretty scary in the dark. It reminds me, like, you know, this is, we're about to step into Halloween, and so all of those crazy shows, which I do not watch, I hate them, <laughs> but uh, those scary shows, I've seen enough of them to know that there's something always lurking in the dark, and there's always somebody not afraid of the dark, right? They're just out there having a good time with a picnic or whatever they're doing, and uh, and something's lurking in the dark, and all of a sudden, you know, they realize that they ought to have been scared of the dark, and, and they weren't at the time. You know, it reminds me of Paul, because Paul, he was in the dark and didn't even realize, didn't even have enough understanding to be afraid. Like, when we are going through Acts, and what we're trying to do is uh, turning turning um, Acts into action, right? And, and as we get to Acts 7, we meet this guy by the name of Stephen. And he is just on fire for the Lord. And he is just, he's just telling them what they need to hear about light and darkness, right? At the end of the day, they don't want to hear that. 
And they ended up, you know, taking him out of the city and stoning him. And it tells us there in Acts uh, 7... Verse 54, it says, Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged, and they grinded their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's interesting to me because evidently they didn't see that. I mean, that's something that Stephen got to see, but I don't know that they saw it because I would have thought that if they would have saw what he saw, that they would have stopped in their tracks, right? But it it says, uh, but they cried out with a loud voice and, and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And you know that that young man named Saul it ends up becoming uh, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And Paul was in a very dark place, but he didn't even realize that he was in a very dark place. He really thought he was carrying out the mission of God, you know, in the midst of this. And yet he finds out. And we have this encounter there, and, and later we have see an encounter where, where this Saul meets Jesus face to face. And it's at that time when he sees this bright light, the right, remember, the light that shined on, on Saul and blinded him, that all of a sudden he realized that he was in the darkness. That would have been a terrifying thing. You know, the story of, of Paul, his, his conversion story is told three times in Acts right? We have it in 9, where, which is almost like it actually was transpiring and taking place. And then he retells it again in chapter 22, and then he retells it again in chapter 26. And, and there's, there's a reason for that. I mean, for that reputation, anytime the Bible is repetitive, you, we ought to like take note of that. Is there a reason for this? And I for sure think that there is a reason for us hearing Paul's story over and over about his conversion. I believe that the story is told here in Acts 26 just because God wants to, to see and understand something significant about a statement that Paul makes. And I want to take you to that in Acts 26, 18. Now, all this is going to come together with, you know, God's prophesying in Isaiah that they... That, uh, that he's going to provide a way for us to become, come out of the darkness, you know, and that Jesus is the light. But here is this prophecy in Acts 26, 18, that, that Paul even senses about himself. He says, To open the eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sin, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All of a sudden, like, Paul realizes that he is part of fulfilling that prophecy in Isaiah way back. Like, like part of his, his sole calling on life, what he has discovered, is to just help people find their way out of darkness into light, just like he did. Even at the time, there was a moment in his life that he didn't even realize he was in darkness, but now that it has been revealed to him, and now that it has been made clear to him that he was in darkness, and now that he has actually found the light, it is his sole mission to try to help people 
find the light and find their way out of darkness. You know, Acts chapter 9, we're, we're given this, like this first uh, person account of his conversion. And, and, and just how, you know, Jesus literally exposes the darkness that was going on in his life. And he starts off, when he shows this bright light, Jesus says to him, and Paul fell down, you know, on the ground when he heard this voice, but he heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, at that time, he still, you know, doesn't even really understand what's going on. And he's like, Lord, who are you? And that's when Jesus spoke up and he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I want you to hang on to that phrase just for a moment. I want you to get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Do you think there's a must do in your life like God has a must do for you? Or do you think it's just for, for Paul? You think it's just for Mike? I definitely have one. Or do you think that God like has one for everybody? A must do. Anyway, Saul, he, he gets up off the ground, but the thing is, is when he gets up off the ground, he, he has no light. He is blind. He was blinded by the light, and, and so somebody had to take him by the hand to even get him to the city. He wouldn't even know what direction to go. He wouldn't have known where to find Ananias. So for three days, Paul is waiting in Damascus once he gets there. Just waiting for this guy to show up that God was going to send to him, right? He's blinded. He's full of fear. He's, he's just, he's, he's in fearful of his salvation, but I think there's just a lot of fear of like, what in the world have I just done? Like, you, you know, I mean, just like the people in Acts when the first sermon was preached and it says they were cut to the heart, that's what it would have been like. I mean, they, they realized what a grievous thing that they have just done against their God. And eventually, you know, the man Ananias, the one God sent, by sent to Paul, came. And when Ananias laid his hands on Paul, there was something that says, the scripture says there was something like scales that fell from his eyes and then all of a sudden he could see again. Ananias reinforced the commission Jesus had given him three days earlier. You know, like there was something special that I'm going to reveal to you when Ananias comes. And after Ananias reaffirms what his job is, his to-do list will be, this is what Ananias declared. He says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's in Acts chapter 22, verse 15. God blinded him for three days. And I think there even, there's like significance in, in that in and of itself, right? Why did God blind him for three days? I mean, we could definitely see the significance of three days with a whole lot of different things that God always chose three days for. Jonah in the belly of the, the well, Jesus in the tomb, and what have you. But, but I think there's something significant about the, him being blinded for a period of time, too. Like, Paul really need to let this sink in, what it is like to live in darkness and what the consequence of darkness is actually going to have on your life. 
and what, you, what you've done. I mean, your acts have, have propelled other people to participate in darkness and live in darkness. I mean, a whole, whole generation was looking for that Isaiah passage to take place. And yet Paul, without him realizing it, he was keeping that from happening. And that's why Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? God intended this physical blindness to drive home a spiritual blindness that was in his life. It was to be very symbolic, I think. An object lesson. And the reason I think that is because of what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.16 later. He says, but I received mercy for this reason. This was his takeaway. That in me... As the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So what was Paul's takeaway from that three days of blindness? What was Paul's to do? It was to try to do everything that he possibly could for the rest of his life to try to help people discover that they are living in darkness and they need the great light. And for some people, it's not that hard because they just don't like darkness anyway. They've always had, already had so much effect from the darkness. They are looking for a way to the light. But then there's other people that just don't know to be af- afraid of the darkness. They might even like the darkness according to John, right? And that's the people that, that Paul was drawn to as well, not just the, the people that easily come, but also the people that need persuasion. And so he was traveling and going around trying to persuade and using his testimony. Because that, that darkness, that, that period of blind, being blind, was Paul's motivation for the rest of his life. He remembered what, what he just came out of. Isn't that what our testimony is so, supposed to be for? Like, like in reality, all we're, all we're called to do is just to share with people what God has done for us. Remember, we're not the judge. Remember that conversation? We're not the judge. We're not, we're not the prosecutor. We're not the, you know, the defendant attorney. We're, we're not the one on trial anymore. All we are now is we are people who are witnessing of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what we do. And from this very period of time forward, Paul, he, he understood that Jesus expected him to help people gain their sight to be pulled out of darkness. In fact, he realized that that's the job of every Christian. That's why he tells us in Philippians, and in another book that he wrote, in Philippians 2.14, he says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Now, why would we do that? Well, according to him, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, because your testimony needs it to be that way, right? When you become witnesses, you need, you need something to support that witness that you're saying that Jesus gave you. You found Jesus and he is the light of the world and he has given you eternal life. You need something to support those words. And so you, you, we stop grumbling and complaining because that doesn't make Jesus look good. It doesn't make our testimony look good. 
And he goes on, he says, holding fast to the word of life so that the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, we have, real, we have something really try to accomplish here, guys. I mean, really we do. There's like people's eternal salvation at stake. Their, their souls are living forever. And some of them aren't going to go to a good place unless we realize that our testimony matters to some effect. So Paul was telling them that, that their job as Christians is to hold out the, the word of life, to hold it out, to put it on display, right? He also, well, he doesn't say, but Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And some of you are called to be the light of your family, like, like that is your job. Some of you are called to be a light at your workplace, like that is your job. Some of you are called to be a light at your church, like that is your job. It's to help other people gather enthusiasm about Jesus. To help them see that Jesus is the light of the world. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So how do we do that, church? How do we let our light, like, shine? How do we hold out the word of life to people in darkness? Well, as I was looking through Acts chapter 26 with this mindset of how do we take this and put it into action? How do we do that? Well, I come up with a few things, and I'm only going to give you one. And so we're almost done. We've got a lot to do today, packing shoe boxes, so we're almost done. But this is the one thing I'm giving you today. And that is that the first thing that if you go through Acts 26, I think the, the first takeaway that you will discover is that you will realize that God has given us a job to do. Just as he said to Paul, after he asked, questioned him, why are you persecuting me? I want you to go into the city, and there's going to be a man who will tell you what you are to do. I'm here today on behalf of God, the creator of the universe, to tell you what you are to do. And that is that we have this job to do. He, he's not going to do the job for us. He's going to do the job with us. He's going to do the job through us. But he's not going to do it for us. It's like he has given us a task to do. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this in verse 16. Actually, I... It's really hard to know where to start here because this is such an amazing passage. But I'm going to start in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. It is. I mean, it's super controlling. When the love of Jesus, you find the love of Jesus, it just seems like it just begs for us to, to do certain things. Like it does have a controlling effect on us. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that, that one has died for all, therefore I've all died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for whose sake, for their sake, died and was raised. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. You see, once Jesus comes into your life and rescues you from darkness, just like he did Paul, all of a sudden you just realize that, you know what, I'm not my own anymore. I was bought at a price. And, and now I, it is my job to do what he has called me to do. He is definitely controlling me. And now all of a sudden you just start seeing people differently. You start seeing people that, people that have souls, eternal souls. And you begin to wonder, like, I wonder where they're heading. And actually, some of them, you don't even have to wonder, right? You know exactly where they're heading. Because it was the same place that you were heading before Jesus came into your life. And we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And and what did he give to us? And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He, like, gave you a to-do, right? This is for everyone. That is, in Christ, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We employ you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And listen to this, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Working together. And that's what we're to do, church. All of us have our own individual do list that we have got from God, but we are all doing that together, trying to accomplish the same thing. Despite what many people believe, Paul was not saved when Jesus blinded him by his light, and he came to his senses and realized what a crazy, terrible thing that he was just spending his life doing, living in darkness against God, persecuting Christ himself with his behaviors. He wasn't saved in the midst of that blinding light. That blinding light convicted him. That blinding light changed him. We call it repentance, right? There was a repentance that was going on in Paul's life. And then he was instructed something. And what was he instructed to do? You go to Damascus, and you will be given a man there by the Ananias, and you do whatever he tells you to do. Three days later, Ananias shows up. And what does Ananias tell him? He reinforces what God wants him to do. Here's what God wants you to do with your life. And he says, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized, washing away your sins. And that's what Paul did. And Paul was baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, just like it's always told us all the way through. Now, why is that important for me to point out in this conversation? It's important for me to point out because Paul's salvation was somewhat hinged. God intended it by what Ananias decides to do. 
Now you think about it. God entrusts Ananias to deliver this message of salvation to Paul. He tells Paul, Paul, you go to Damascus, and I'm going to send someone there, and he's going to tell you what to do. Ananias tells him what to do. And his instruction came from God, but his instruction was, be baptized into Christ Jesus and wash away your sins. What if Ananias would have just not bothered that day? I mean, maybe God would have gotten somebody else, right? But we don't know. All we know is that as God was communicating to Paul, he was also communicating to Ananias what he wanted him to do. Why did it take three days? Well, because I think God wanted Paul to be in blindness for three days. And maybe Ananias was rushed right over there. Maybe it took three days for Ananias to come to his senses to actually bother telling Paul. It wouldn't have been an easy thing anyway, because Ananias, I'm sure, would have fought against it. Why would we want to save him? You ever been there? (laughs) Why would we want to save him? He's been persecuting Christians. I think sometimes we can go through all that little dilemma too, but... And, but all I want you to see is that God is sending you. He has somebody in your life that he is expecting you. And you've got to understand, church, that that burden is on you. You can say, well, it's the preacher's burden. You, you can say, well, it's, it's my workmate's burden because he goes to church more than I do. It is your burden. If you are in Jesus Christ, then Paul has made it very clear to you, God has made it very clear to you, that you are his ambassadors, that you are part of this ministry of reconciliation. And he pulled you out of darkness into light, and now he's given you the ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation to do. Now, let me take it from a little bit different angle, and then I'll, I'll pray. I want you to think about this situation. Is there somebody in your life, maybe right now or somebody in the past, but some, somebody right now that, that you care deeply about? Like maybe it's, maybe it's a son that is wayward or a daughter or a granddaughter or a grandson or a father or a mother. But there's somebody that you know that you would question where they would spend eternity if, if they were to pass. You just don't know. Or maybe you do know where they would be. And you carry this burden. And just think through this for a minute. But you know it's not, as much as you would want to be the one who was called to share Jesus Christ with them, just like Ananias was to Paul, you know that that is not yours. Like you've tried, it's not worked. And you're just praying. Maybe they're not even close. Maybe they live somewhere far away. But you, you know what I'm talking about. Like you have this burden. But yet you're not the one. And you don't know who the one is. But you know that God has the one already figured out. And maybe it's the neighbor that lives close to them that has a relationship. That's who God has called to talk to your, your dad or 
your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter. What do you want them to do? If, if it's somebody that you care so deeply about and you're concerned about and you pray about it, that, that they would come to their senses and be pulled out of this darkness and you know that God has somebody in store, what would you want that person to do? I mean, it's, not a, it's a no-brainer, right? Speak up. Deliver the message. Do what God has called you to do. I mean, my, my loved one is at stake here. And don't you know that the person that you work with, the child that you've been entrusted to, the people in your life, the neighbor, that's someone's loved one, is someone that God cares about, is someone that Jesus died for, and it is your job. And for us to keep blowing it off and just don't bother, is just, I just want you to see how silly that is when it comes to the way God sees things. If you don't do it, then who's going to do it? And you think that God is not going to be like a, a little bit frustrated at that? That you just didn't bother? You know, Paul talks a lot about that too. I was thinking about this like with Haiti, you know, just the, the 17 that were um, captured the missionaries. Have they been rescued? They haven't, right? I just want to make sure I didn't miss something breaking news. But what if, what if, what if we knew where they were? I mean, like, we don't know where they were, but like our government, the FBI that's over there investigating. What if, what if they had Navy SEALs already set up and the Navy SEALs were like, confident, like 90-some percent confident that they could get in there, get them, and no problem whatsoever. What if it was like a, a no-brainer rescue, and yet they don't bother? Would that bother you, that they don't bother? Like that it's not that important? And as important as that is, how important is eternal life? Because what you're just talking about is a few years added to these people's lives, which is important. I'm not diminishing that. I'm trying to elevate the perspective that we put on eternity here. How much more important is the human life when it has all eternity to spend somewhere? How important is it for you to walk out today more determined than ever to be that example and to speak up? It is your burden to carry. It is your to-do list. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much that you have given us this ministry of reconciliation.
you have told us in so many different ways. Like in Romans, you help us reason through if, how, how can they hear if there is no one sent and how can, how can they make a decision if someone's not preaching the good news and we know, Father, that the conclusion of that is, is that it is, it is us that is supposed to be bringing the light. We know, Father, that it is through your Holy Spirit, as we've been talking the last few weeks, that it is only through the power of the Spirit living in us that actually accomplish anything. But it is you working through us. Just help us, Lord, to understand. Help us feel the burden. There are people in our lives that we care deeply about. We would want somebody to reach out to them to share the good news. Let that be just a a motivation for us to do our parts in hopes that they would do their part with our loved one. God, we just pray that you you would encourage us. The harvest is plentiful, but the the reapers are few, but may that not be so here at Westside. May you raise up workers among us, people who are bold enough to just share this Jesus. Why would we not share Jesus? Help us, Father, with this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I decided to uh, do communion meditation today, and I know that you know what we're doing here. Like we're remembering Jesus' death burial and resurrection. And it was because he resurrected that this actually has meaning, right? I mean, if he just died, offered up his body, which is what the bread represents, shed his blood, which is what the juice represents, and that's all we have, it would be a really weird deal that we come here and drink this blood and eat this bread. But what brings it meaning is that he didn't stay there. Three days later, he became the light of the world. And we are to share that light. That's what our job is. Fortunately, there are people out there that are being great examples of that. And I just had a real heart for, and I think that many of you probably share the same, but for these missionaries and their children that were captured there in Haiti, and just people who are people who are um, uh, living out their calling to share. And I just wanted us to pause for a moment as we begin to, we come forward and we partake of this, that we would just pause and we pray for them in particular, but then we just have a little moment of self-reflective and that maybe through us praying for them, through the message, and through this communion time, that we also are just challenged here at the table to be more committed to sharing the good news with the people in our life. It, it really is, you, you really do have more to play in this than maybe you realize when you walked in here today. And there's more at stake than maybe you realize today. And maybe God is just shedding a little light, more light into this situation for you. And light does expose, doesn't it? And sometimes that's why we resist it. 
And maybe this is the time where you don't resist that. Like you just, you just acknowledge, God, I know that you want me to be an ambassador of yours. I already know who you want me to share with. And this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for these people who are doing their job. And I'm going to be more committed to me doing my job. So let's pause for a minute, pray for them, get our minds right, and let's come to the table and remember what he's given to us. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for just the opportunity to pray on behalf of these people that went to another land far away to just share Jesus with others. Their whole job, as far as I know, I, know the, I don't know a whole lot, but from what I would perceive, their job was to just serve you, to just be able to speak on, on your behalf, a good word to lead people out of darkness and into light. And yet they have been influenced by the darkness in this way. It is the darkness that is trying to hold them captive. And we know, Father, that you would not have anything to do with, with that that your whole point is to deliver us from this kind of bondage. I know that's in a spiritual sense, and I know, Father, that they are probably being encouraged by your spirit right now of just that truth that they have been delivered out of spiritual darkness and into a great light. But I pray, Father, that they would also be physically delivered from this darkness, this physical darkness that is overtaking them. We pray for their deliverance, Father. I pray, Father, that you would motivate the people who can allow that to happen, can orchestrate that to happen. Whether it's through conviction of the people who are in that darkness or whether it's through just motivating the people who are not maybe motivated enough to do what they need to do. Maybe you just need to reveal more truth. Maybe you're waiting for three days more. I don't know. But I pray, Father, that they would be delivered. I pray that you would be glorified. I pray, Father, that you would just encourage your church in this way. Father, we come to the table here and we are humbled to be reminded of our duty before you. You have given up everything. You have given up your life that we may have life. And that's what is represented here on this table. It has cost you everything. Help us see what it is supposed to cost us. That we are no longer to live for ourselves, but to live for you who died for us, as scripture says. That we are called to be your ambassadors of this great light that we have found. So Father, as we come to this table, we are reminded of of the price that you paid and what it did, it bought us. Father, we want to be more committed to our community, to our loved ones, to the people that we work with. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.